I'm continuing a series called Let's Talk About It. Let's Talk About It. And last week I read a statement from a well-known Christian songwriter who had walked away from his faith and he kind of said this this statement. I shared it all last week. I'm going to just kind of key in on the focus for this week. He asked the question, how many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk. Well, my first question is, how many miracles would you consider many? Like what would impress you, bro? A hundred miracles? Thousand miracles? A hundred thousand? I'm just trying to figure out where you're coming from. It's kind of funny to me to admit that there is a God who has the power and the willingness to intervene in our world and do miracles and then just complain that he doesn't do them enough. And Matthew 12, verse 38, reminds me of this time. It says, one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus was saying, I don't have to prove anything to you. Because they weren't even really seeking the truth anyway. And I think about how people in this world will say, well, okay, if there is a God, then, then have him create a burrito so big he can't eat it. <laughs> it's like you're not even really seeking the truth. And God doesn't have to prove anything to you. Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. So you know the story of Jonah, maybe, about this guy who was swallowed by a fish in three days, three nights, was in the belly of a fish. Some people have asked, you actually believe that's true, that story from the Old Testament? I'm saying, yeah, I do, because Jesus believed it. I'm going to give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. What did he mean? He meant the way that Jonah was in a fish for three days and three nights, I am going to be killed and buried in the earth for three days and three nights. And the way that Jonah came out of that fish, I'm going to come out of the tomb. That'll be the sign. And honestly, isn't that the greatest and most important miracle that's ever been done, that Jesus rose again? If that was the only miracle that God had ever worked in all of history, it would be enough that all of us would have to ask, who is this God who's able to defy the laws of nature and raise someone from the dead? What does he say and what does he want from me? So the title of this message is The God of Miracles. The God of Miracles. I think most of us have heard stories of miracles happening and wrestled with doubt. I hear a lot of stories. There's a lot of clickbait and fake news on the internet today. And so when you see a headline about a miracle, it's kind of normal to say, but did it really happen? Could it have just been coincidence or a placebo effect or someone's imagination? We ask those types of questions. One philosopher said a miracle is defined this way. A miracle is an event brought about by the, the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. A 2015 survey conducted by the Barna Group showed that two-thirds of Americans believe that miracles are possible today. The same survey said that two out of five people who responded said they had experienced something in their lives that they could only explain as a miracle of God. Now, if you applied that ratio to the U.S. population, that would be 124 million miracles. But let's say just that some of those people were imagining or it was a coincidence or, you know, it was psychosomatic or something like that. Let's just weed out some of those miracles. Let's weed out 99% of those miracles. That would still leave over a million miracles experienced by just people living today in the U.S. Surely they're not all mistaken or making it up. Is a million miracles a lot of miracles? I'm just trying to figure this out. One atheist college professor was asked, if a person was raised from the dead right in front of you, would you believe you had witnessed a miracle? He responded, probably not. The Russian philosopher, his name's Fyodor Dostoevsky. He said, if an unbeliever is confronted with a miracle as an irrefutable fact, he would rather disbelieve his own senses than admit the fact. People who are determined to not believe, they could see someone raised from the dead right in front of them and they'd say, 
no, my, eye, my eyes aren't working properly. You know, this must be fake. If they're determined not to believe, a miracle wouldn't prove anything to them. They'd rather believe that there is no God. Most skeptics don't believe in miracles because they don't want to believe in miracles. Because if there is a God who can work miracles, then there are truths that we must be curious about. This God might have certain feelings or opinions that we'd have to pay attention to. A lot of atheists claim that a miracle can't happen because it would violate the laws of nature. It's important to understand that the laws of nature don't demand or predict what will happen. They explain what has happened. Okay, so I'll just give you an old example. If there is a God who could create the heavens and the earth and establish the laws of nature, doesn't it make sense that he would also have the power to intervene when it comes to the laws of nature? But atheists would say no, because that would violate the laws. Let me, let me show you. Okay, so let's say, according to the law of gravity, this ball, like follow the bouncing ball. This ball, if I dropped it, according to the law of gravity, we would expect what? To fall, right? So if I drop it, what just happened? I caught it. So I didn't violate the law of gravity, did I? I just intervened. That's all that happened. And that's what God is able to do as well. Intervene. Last service, that ball bothered me the whole time, so I'm just throwing it out of the way this, this time. God wants us to know that he's not just a historical figure that you read about in the Bible. He is alive. He is present and active in your life today, and he cares about you, and he is able to do miracles. So I want you to understand this point. God has always been in the miracle business. God has always been in the miracle business. You go back to the creation of the world. Atheists, Christians, and scientists all agree that the universe had a beginning. And that the universe, when it began, there was a number of considerations like gravity and the rate of expansion and the weight of atoms. That if any of those factors had been just one microfraction different, there would be no stars, there would be no planets, and there would be no life in the universe. Scientists call this the fine-tuning of creation. There's no way to explain this. It's interesting that Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In fact, renowned physicist and atheist Stephen Hawking said, the remarkable fact is the values of these numbers seem to have been finally adjusted to make possible the development of life. And yet he refuses, like many atheists, to believe in a miracle-working God. These atheists are the ones that actually have to have blind faith. Like, for example, when it comes to the creation of the universe, they'd rather come up with imaginary concepts like a multiverse that can't be detected, observed, measured, or proven, rather than believe that there is a designer who created miraculously the universe for whom evidence abounds around us. In the New Testament times, Jesus he performed 40 miracles that were recorded. He did a lot more miracles, but they weren't all recorded in the Gospels. He healed diseases, cast out demons, showed his power over nature, and he even raised the dead. It's interesting that his enemies don't even deny that he did miracles. His own enemies don't deny he did miracles. They just complain that he did them on the Sabbath day. <laughs> like, well, yeah, you do miracles, but you're just doing them wrong. And then we see that Jesus wanted us to continue on as his church experiencing miracles. It started with his 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. The miracles that Jesus performed were a sign that the arrival of the kingdom of heaven had come. The kingdom of heaven had burst into creation and it was meant to give us a little taste of the future when healing will be complete, when God will make a new heaven and a new earth. This reminds us that the day is coming when there will be no more suffering or sickness or pain. That's why Jesus did miracles. And I need you to know this next point. God is still in the miracle business. He's still in the miracle business. And maybe you've asked, well, why doesn't God do more 
miracles. It'd be really nice if when I was talking to my unbelieving friends, if, you know, God could just come through for a miracle over coffee, you know, like, God, please turn their coffee into fire in Jesus name. That'd be like real neat. So why doesn't God do more miracles? Well, one author, Tim Stafford, points out four characteristics of places where there are outbreaks of the supernatural most often today. Four places where this tends to happen the most often. Places where there are, there's a literacy, so people can't read because miracles show the power of God even without language. Places where there are no cultural framework for theological concepts like sin and salvation. Because miracles demand that you pay attention even if you don't understand the nature of your problem with God. Places where there are limited medical care available. Miracles, for some people, are their only hope. Today, we enjoy the gift that comes from God, which is modern medicine. And I believe that for Christians, we should pray for miracles and we should use modern medicine. It'd be foolish not to use medicine, right? It'd be like praying for God to send manna from heaven when you could just walk down the street to the grocery store. So praise God for modern medicine. But for some people, a miracle might be their only hope of getting better. And then also places where the spirit world is real to people, where people are open to and aware of supernatural forces. A lot of Americans aren't even open to those things. They wouldn't even believe a miracle if it happened right in front of their eyes. Also, God, he brings supernatural dreams to people. It's estimated that about 50% of the Muslims worldwide cannot read. And 86% do not know a Christian. But more Muslims have come to Christ in the last couple of decades than in the 1,400 years since Muhammad died. And stayed dead, by the way, versus our Lord and Savior. Now, here's what's amazing. It's estimated that somewhere between one quarter and one third, so one out of three Muslims who've become Christians, experienced a dream or a vision of Jesus before their salvation experience. They report having had laser clear, vivid dreams, not like normal dreams where they're confusing and kind of cloudy. But in this dream, they report a man in white whom they somehow know is Jesus. And you know that Muslims have no reason to want to fantasize about Jesus, but they report feeling emotions from Jesus uh, that Islam doesn't provide, like love and grace and safety and joy and peace. And, and one thing that's incredible is often in these accounts, Jesus in this dream will, will introduce a Muslim to a Christian whom they've never met. You're going to meet this person. And then they'll go to the market and be like, you're the person from my dream. Can you tell me about Jesus? And they'll say, yes. How did you... And these people will introduce them to Christ from the Bible and present the gospel. So God is doing miracles, but he's also doing them in the Western world. And we, as Americans, we need the supernatural power of God just as much as they do in China or in Africa. I've done a lot of reading before this message, and you can actually verify thousands of accounts of documented miracles that have medical records to back them up, tests that were done, imaging that was done, which were authenticated by respected and educated people who had no motivation to deceive anyone. I read about one double-blind peer-reviewed study that was done that compared a group of people who were blind and deaf, who were receiving prayer from born-again Christians, to a control group that was not receiving prayer. And the group that was receiving prayer showed full or partial regaining of their senses compared to the control group that showed no change. <laughs> Accounts of people with cataracts instantly invisibly healed, paralytics able to walk, broken bones mending, voices restored, burns disappearing, failing kidneys restored, osteoporosis gone, even life given back to the dead hours later with no brain damage. You could read about it all day. I wish I could tell you all the stories. Now what's interesting is that statistically, the more educated you are, 
And the more money you make, the less likely you are to believe in miracles, statistically, unless you're a doctor. Unless you're a doctor. A survey from 2004 showed that 55% of U.S. physicians have seen results in their patients that they would consider miraculous. In one survey of 1,100 doctors, three out of four are convinced that miracles can occur today, which is a higher percentage than the general population of America. And six out of 10 doctors surveyed pray for their patients individually. So I'll read you one story in the book Miracles, authored by Craig Keener. This is just the best book um, on miracles that you could find. It's probably ever been written. He tells many, many stories of miracles that were documented and verified. But here's one of Barbara Snyder. Barbara Snyder was diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic with progressive multiple sclerosis. Facts confirmed by multiple physicians who treated her. There were years of medical records. In fact, two of her doctors were so amazed by what happened to her that they wrote books about it. One of the physicians, Dr. Harold Adolph, a board-certified surgeon who performed 25,000 operations in his career, declared, Barbara was one of the most hopelessly ill patients I ever saw. Her diagnosis was confirmed by spinal taps and other diagnostic tests. Over 16 years, her condition continued to deteriorate. She spent months in hospitals, unable to breathe with pneumonia. One of her lungs collapsed and was non-functional. The other lung operated at less than 50% efficiency. A tracheotomy tube was inserted into her neck for oxygen. She lost control of her urination and bowels. A catheter was inserted into her bladder. An ileostomy bag was attached to her stomach to receive bodily waste because her intestines didn't work. She went legally blind. A feeding tube was inserted. Her abdomen, her doctor says, was swollen grotesquely because the muscles of her intestine did not work. She showed she now needed continuous oxygen and her muscles and joints were becoming contracted and deformed because she could not move or exercise them. By 1981, she hadn't been able to walk for seven years. She was confined to her bed, her body twisted like a pretzel in the fetal position, and doctors explained to her family that it was just a matter of time before she would die. One day, someone called in Barbara's story to the radio station of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Some 450 Christians wrote letters to her church saying that they were lifting up Barbara in prayer. On Pentecost Sunday, 1981, her aunt came to visit her with two friends. Barbara reports that she heard a man's voice speak from behind her, even though there were no men in the room. And the words she says were clear and articulate and spoken with great authority, but also with great compassion, saying, my child, get up and walk. She pulled out her tracheotomy tube and felt compelled to do immediately what she was divinely instructed. So she literally jumped out of the bed and removed her oxygen. She was standing on legs that had not supported her for seven years. Her vision was back. She was no longer short of breath, even without her oxygen. Her muscle contractions were gone, and she could now move her hands and feet freely. Her mom grabbed her calf muscles and screamed because the muscles that had disappeared because of atrophy had instantly been restored. So the next day, Barbara came back to the doctor's office for an examination. Seeing her in the hallway, her doctor said, I thought I was seeing an apparition. He said, no one has ever seen anything like this before, he told Barbara. This is medically impossible, but you are now free to go out and live your life. A chest x-ray that afternoon showed her lungs were already perfectly normal, with the collapsed lung completely expanded. The intestine that had been vented to the abdominal wall was reconnected normally. Adolph said she was eventually restored to complete health. One of her physicians said, I have never witnessed anything like this before or since and considered it a rare privilege to observe the hand of God performing a true miracle. So I want to talk about how to pray for miracles, how to pray for miracles for us today as followers of Jesus. How should we pray for miracles? First, 
Stop being embarrassed of the supernatural. We have a tendency in the Western world to trust God for the invisible, but not for the visible. Many of us as Christians today, maybe depending on which background you come from, we want to be respectable. We want to be respected by secular society. And so we've allowed in many churches and sometimes in our own prayers to hold back from fully embracing the supernatural power of a God who still performs the miraculous. Like some of us are like, well, I don't really want to pray for God to do a miracle because that makes me sound like a weird person. And so we hold back. Maybe sometimes we're overreacting to other people who have made theological errors. There have been people who've done so. They've, they've said things like, well, if you didn't get healed, then you must not have had faith. If you didn't get healed, maybe it's because you have sin in your life. If you didn't send in $1,000, maybe that's why you didn't get healed. Some people have faked being healed. And so maybe out of a desire to respond to that, we've pulled back too far from believing God for the supernatural. You've got to accept, church, that you serve a supernatural God who is able to do what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard. How to pray for miracles. Next, you've got to pray to Jesus. You've got to pray to Jesus. He is the source of power, especially if you need healing. Jesus is the source of healing power. In John 14, verse 13, Jesus said, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son, him, can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, there are some people who are Christians and they call themselves Christians and they don't realize it, but they're more often they're not praying to Jesus. They're actually praying to karma. Like, God, why haven't you healed me? I've been a good person. I've tried to do good things. No, you don't deserve to be healed. You don't earn God's healing. Praying to Jesus reminds us that healing or any favor that comes from God is undeserved grace. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus' name is not a magical phrase that allows you to manipulate God. You don't get to say, God, I want a Lamborghini in Jesus' name. That's not the way it works, all right? But praying to Jesus and praying in Jesus' name, it reminds us that he is the name above all names. His power is what performs the miraculous and saves us. So pray to Jesus. Then, when you're praying for miracles, it's important that we confess our sins. 1 Peter 3.12 quotes Psalm 34 and says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be perfect in order for God to hear your prayers. If that was the case, he wouldn't listen to any of our prayers. What this is talking about is some people who have ongoing, unrepentant sin in their lives. They know that they're doing something that's wrong. They refuse to repent of it. And this passage clearly shows that could interfere with your prayers. It's kind of funny and kind of sad, but when I see lost people who aren't Christians talk about praying to God, I'm like, he's not going to listen to you. He doesn't listen to the prayers of everyone. He listens to the prayers of those who are seeking him. Yes. It's also interesting, I'll just throw this in there, that in the same chapter of 1 Peter, it says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. All the wives said amen. See, God was saying to this first century culture, man, in this culture where a woman's well-being and health and protection and provision was completely dependent on her husband. God was saying, if you husbands don't honor your wives, but treat them poorly the way that they were so often treated, especially in this culture, then don't come asking me for a prayer. Don't come asking me for help if you're not going to even be good to the people who are relying on you to help them. Just a little side note. Now, this doesn't mean that if you pray for God to do a miracle and he doesn't do it, it must be because you have hidden sin in your life. 
That's not what it means. Nobody's going to accuse you of that. That's not even our assumption. If you start assuming that about someone else, you are in error theologically. And you're judging someone else based on information you can't even know. Right. So if I ask God to heal me and he doesn't, doesn't mean that I've got some sin that's hidden away. But confessing our sins is an ongoing part of growing closer to God and showing that we want a relationship with him. Okay, so we got to pray for miracles. You need this. You need faith. You need faith. Faith is trusting that God is able. That's what it means to have faith. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can just repeat to yourself again and again, God, you will heal me. God, you will heal me. God, you will heal me. That's, that's not what it means to have faith. It's saying, God, I know you can heal me. God, I know you're able to heal me. I know you're able to do a miracle. You're able to make a way where there seems to be no way. We've got to believe. A lot of times, even as Christians, we trust God and we believe that he works in us. But then more often we look to science to explain that which is outside of us. We've got to realize that our supernatural God is able to work in the natural world. So, for example, in Matthew 17, verse 19, the same disciples who had received authority from Jesus to do miracles, they had an experience where they tried and they failed. It says this in verse 19, Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? Jesus said, You don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, I'll tell you, church, this is a difficult verse. It's a difficult passage. I struggle with it. I don't understand it completely. I ask myself questions like, well, what was wrong with their faith? He said they didn't have enough. Somehow, we don't know what, but their faith was not in the right place. And that's what I want you to understand. It's not usually about having more faith, but about having right faith. Because Jesus doesn't imply you need a lot of faith. And that's a relief to me because I can't help but think if the disciples didn't have enough faith, I'm in trouble. Because sometimes I don't feel like I have a lot of faith. But Jesus comforts us by telling us you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. Just a little tiny bit of faith. And, and what kind of faith? The right kind of faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith that God can do the miraculous, not because we deserve it, not because we're special, but because he is good. He's all powerful. When it comes to faith, it's more important that you have good quality faith than a great degree of quantity of faith. Quality is tr better than quantity when it comes to faith. So I want you to realize that when it comes to praying for a miracle, God is not impressed by our prayers getting louder. God, I really need a miracle. Did that one get through? Repetition doesn't really do a lot. Like, in fact, in the Bible, it says, don't go on babbling and repeating yourself like the pagans do. Like, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Maybe if I get to 100 Hail Marys, he'll do a miracle. That's not necessary. We can walk into the throne room of heaven and present our need to God with confidence, like we belong there as a child of God. We are meant to move mountains, Jesus said, to see the impossible occur through the, exercise, the exercising of supernatural faith in the promises of God. So I want you to understand, if you're not seeing mountains move, you're living beneath your means. We pray with faith. And here's the next thing. When we're praying for miracles, we pray according to God's will. That means that as a Christian, you should want what God wants more than what you want. First John 5.14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. According to his will. We know that God's will is perfect. What he desires is only good. It's perfect. And, and I, I think we need to understand that because if I'm just going to be real, if I'm just going to be honest, I, I love you. And, and for some of you, I just want to speak to you as your pastor. 
Some of you tie God's goodness directly to your happiness. And if life is going the way you want and you're happy, well, God is good. But when things don't go the way you want and you're unhappy, you start wondering, is he really good? It's time to take off the spiritual diapers. Just understand that God's goodness is consistent and steady. Whether or not your circumstances are, he's only always good. Do you realize that every prayer you pray is answered when you pray the way that Jesus taught us, let your will be done? Remember that way Jesus taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, do we forget about that? Because sometimes it's like, my will be done. Do my will, God. I need you to do the thing that I want. And sometimes I don't even realize that the thing I want isn't even good for me. I'm praying for God to do something that wouldn't even be good for me, but God's will is perfect. So when I pray, I can present my request to God, but I should follow it up with, let your will be done. Because God, you might know something that I don't know. He does. And you might know that there's something better for me than even what I'm praying for. There might be. So pray for his will to be done. When it comes to praying for miracles, here's how you do it. You ask for miracles. That's the next thing. Ask for a miracle. I got to be honest. And right now I'm going to confess about myself. Sometimes in the past, I've prayed weak prayers, weak, atrophied, impotent prayers. Why? Because, man, I get a lot of people asking me to pray for them. And I know that statistically God doesn't heal everybody. Think about that, right? If God answered every prayer for healing, there'd be like 100 billion people living on the planet right now. No one would ever die, right? I know God's not going to heal everyone supernaturally, and so sometimes I make it about me. And I don't want to be embarrassed if they don't get healed. And I don't want to be bummed out if they don't get healed. So I'll start praying these weak, wimpy prayers. God, just help her to endure the pain. Lord, give the doctors wisdom. Just give her peace. Now, I'll tell you what. If I need a miracle, I don't need help enduring the pain. I've got painkillers for that. I don't need the doctors to get more wisdom. They're already super smart, and they know what they're doing. I've already got peace. I know that even if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. What I need right now in this moment is a miracle. And so I should pray bold prayers asking for the miraculous to happen. God, I'm asking you to heal him. I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Baffle the doctors. Blow their minds. Provide supernaturally. Bring supernatural, unexplained favor and promotion, God. Do a miracle. Not just help me to get by. But I should pray bold prayers and ask for miracles. In James 5, verse 14, it says, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. A lot of people get concerned, though. Well, what if we pray and don't get healed? You know? And I've worried the same thing. What if I pray and that person doesn't get healed? Like, I'll be embarrassed. I'll be sad. But it's better to ask and get a no than to get a no because you never asked. So don't let the fear of disappointment stop you from asking for a miracle. Fear, you should fear not receiving a miracle because you never asked. So I think about a couple in our church, Kathy and Ben Lawless. They were in the 930 service, sitting over to my left, your right. And in 2012, Ben had a colonoscopy and was diagnosed with colon cancer. During the colonoscopy, they, re they removed some of the cancerous polyps. Some of you are familiar with how that goes. And he was scheduled to have surgery in December to remove a section of his colon that needed to be removed to remove the cancer. In preparation, during the colonoscopy, what they do is they'll tattoo the colon to mark the section that needs to be removed. They will actually tattoo your colon. That's an interesting tattoo. So I remember on October, 
October, I remember that Ben came to the church office in Mesa and asked for prayer. And my dad prayed with him. I remember I prayed with him. Some of our staff was there. And we all prayed for Ben that God would heal him of colon cancer. Well, the day for his surgery came and they had prayed for a supernatural healing the night before that God would baffle the minds of the doctors. Ben was taken back and put under general anesthesia. So he was knocked out, sleepy time. He awoke to something shocking. His wife, Kathy, describes how the surgeon who was supposed to perform the surgery came into the room and he looked visibly upset. He said, I'm sorry, I'm baffled by what has happened. The surgeon couldn't do the surgery because they couldn't find the cancer. They couldn't find the tattooed section of his colon. Yeah. They brought in two other surgeons to look for the tattooed section of his colon. They brought in the surgeon who did the tattoo, which was done three weeks earlier, and it wasn't there. The scar tissue from the polyps that were removed was not there. It was like nothing had ever been wrong. The doctor said, I'm baffled. They said, nothing like this has ever happened. There was no sign that there had even been cancer. He's had multiple scans and tests since then. There's no sign that he has cancer. So praise God. Here's the next question. We got to talk about this. Some people ask, well, why doesn't God do it for me? I hear this great story about God healing someone else and I'm happy. But if I'm being honest, I'm also jealous. I prayed for my marriage to be saved. I prayed for my lost loved one to come to Christ and it never happened and they died. I prayed for someone I loved that God would heal them and take the pain away and it never happened. Why doesn't God do it for me? Here's the answer. I don't know. We can't explain it. And we shouldn't even try. Sometimes we'll pray bold prayers with faith to Jesus in righteousness. And God will still say, no, he might say, wait, might seems like he says nothing. And that's not always easy, but it is okay because God is good. Even in Jesus's day, miracles weren't automatic. It says in Matthew 13, couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. In Matthew 10, remember, Jesus gave his disciples authority to do miracles and cast out demons. But then in chapter 17, they failed. It just didn't happen. It didn't automatically happen every time for everyone. I'll give you better examples. In 2 Timothy 4.20, the apostle Paul writes, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Okay, so that should be a baby name for someone who's pregnant in our church, Trophimus. I want to see that. But this is Paul's friend's. Paul's friend, Trophimus, he had to leave him behind sick. Well, don't you think that the apostle Paul had prayed for a lot of people who had been healed at that point? We know he had. So why wasn't his own friend healed? We don't know. God didn't even heal the physical thorn that was in Paul's flesh, the, the suffering that he endured. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul writes, But to keep me from being puffed up with pride because of the many wonderful things I saw, I was given a painful physical ailment, which acts as as Satan's messenger to beat me and keep me from being proud. That's a complicated conversation. Three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away. But his answer was, my grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. I am most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of God's Christ's power over me. So this is the apostle Paul who had spent time hanging out with Jesus. I mean, Jesus obviously likes the guy. He prayed three times with super apostle faith and he still wasn't healed. What was he suffering with? We don't know. It could have been a number of different things. But the point is that God chose not to heal him. And we don't know why completely. But Paul says part of the reason is that God didn't want him to get full of himself. Takes a lot of maturity to accept that answer, doesn't it? (laughs) Like, okay, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. Cool. I'll suffer and love you and trust you anyway. When we pray for miracles and it doesn't happen, we've got to remember that God is sovereign. 
That means that he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's totally in control of everything that happens. He sees the big picture. His ways are higher than our ways, above our thoughts are his thoughts. He sees the big picture. We don't even see a little tiny piece of the picture. We know that whatever is happening around us, God has already promised to use it for good because he's good. He's working all things together for my good. His plans are better than my plans. And so you either trust him or you don't. He's in control. He's good. Sometimes you're going to pray and ask God to do something for you, to do a miracle, to heal you, to heal someone you love, and it's not going to happen. At least not in this life. And it can be appropriate at times to relinquish this need to God and trust him. At the cross, Jesus asked the Father to spare him from the cup of suffering. He asked God to take the cross away from him. But then his final prayer was one of relinquishment. But Father, not my will, your will be done. This is what he said in Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's not a lack of faith, but submission to God's will and trust in him. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 6 says, There is a time for everything, a time to search, and a time to give up. There could come a time when you pray and pray and pray and pray, and you say, I've given up. I trust God. He might not bring healing in this life. I mean, once in a while I might ask again, just for good measure, but I might spend the rest of my days dealing with this ailment. And it can be difficult. It can be hard. It can be disappointing and sad. It might cause you to grieve and mourn and lament. In John 6, verse 66, Jesus had just finished a very difficult teaching. And it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. See, there are a lot of Christians when God doesn't give them what they want, they turn and they leave. They say, well, God must not be good. And I'm not going to believe in a God that would let that happen to my loved one. But we got to remember, no matter what happens in this life, our momentary troubles don't compare to the weight of eternal glory. Even when you're disappointed about what God has done in your life, there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to turn to beside Jesus. And when healing isn't coming, sometimes we have to say, Lord, whatever you have in store for me is what I want. As difficult as that might be, that is a prayer of obedience and submission and trust. It's faith. So you might pray a prayer of relinquishment like this. Father, I know you're with me and you love me. You know what's best for me. And I accept your will, whatever that may be. That's a prayer of relinquishment. When you pray and you don't receive a miracle, you might feel lonely. You might feel empty. It's okay to be disappointed. Trust God anyway. He gets the glory through a miracle. And he also gets the glory when his people serve him with faithfulness and character, even in times of suffering. When God doesn't answer our prayer, it's okay to lament. And lament, it's defined as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Sixty of the Psalms in the Bible are Psalms of lament. There's lament in Ecclesiastes and Job. Jesus laments over the unbelieving people of Jerusalem. On the cross, his lament came out as a cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if Jesus can lament and still not sin, then I guess we can too. But just as Jesus's lament was answered by his resurrection, so too will yours be answered by your resurrection. For everyone who follows Jesus, there will be ultimately healing. Every wrong will be righted. And so we always have hope. I need you to understand this. God can heal you. He will heal you. It's just a matter of when will he heal you? It might be in this life. It might be in the next life. 
but all of us will be healed. We will receive an eternity free from pain, suffering, sickness, disease. There will be no more sorrow. He will wipe every tear from every eye. And we have that to look forward to. And guess what? In the scope of eternity, our time on this earth in suffering is very, 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 very small. Don't let temporary inconveniences and troubles keep you from enjoying an eternity with a God who loves you and has good things for you. Even if in this life you don't get what you prayed for. I need you to realize this. There's always hope with God. There's always hope with God. No matter what you're struggling with, there's always hope with God. You can trust him. I want you to hear this in a moment. There's a pastor. His name was Dwayne Miller. He's still alive today. And he preached every week at his church. He loved to preach the word of God. And at one point he got a virus and the virus ate away at the nerves of his vocal cords and paralyzed his vocal cords. He saw over 60 ear, nose and throat specialists. They said the probability of his recovery was zero. His vocal cords were paralyzed and so his voice sounded raspy and gravelly and hoarse. He had to resign his position as the pastor of his church because he couldn't preach any longer. His next job was for the government researching records, but he had to resign that position too because he couldn't testify in court because he could barely speak. He suffered with depression, obviously, and prayed many times for God to heal him. Three years had gone by, and he hadn't spoken normally since he got this virus. Well, one Sunday, his church that he used to pastor invited him to come and teach a Sunday school class. They loved him, and he was a good teacher, and it was the only class that day that had a recording taking place, and he had to use a microphone anyway for anyone to be able to hear him, what he was saying. So he used a microphone to teach his Sunday school class that day. So I want you to listen to the audio of him teaching that class. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. Now you have to be careful on how you do this because there are folks who carry things to an excess and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in his sovereign will. I don't know why God does things that he does, but I know that he does. And the only thing he requires of me is to allow him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true, won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry, that's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again, is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the bed we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm good overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what 
to say or do. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I He redeems my life from the pit. <laughs> and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in love. The Lord will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, that's mercy. Or repay us according to our iniquities, that's mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. So Dwayne said that even as he was beginning that teaching, he was talking about how God still heals and thinking in his own mind, but why doesn't he do it for me? And then the moment he said the word pit, he said he felt a pressure release from his throat and you heard what happened. His voice was restored and he talked normally for the first time in three years, even though doctors said it was impossible for that to happen. God is a miracle working God. And he wants to do miracles in our lives today. It starts with our faith that he is willing and that he is able. It doesn't mean that he's gonna do it every single time the way that we ask for. Sometimes he has a better plan, a bigger plan. It's outside our understanding and we trust him anyway. But sometimes he does want to work in our lives and it's our responsibility to simply believe and ask for him to do what only he can do. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet at this time, wherever you're at. Whatever is going on in your life, I want to just pray for those who say today, I need a miracle. I need God to do something that only he can do. We believe that God heals, that he is willing, that he is able. He's a supernatural God. That means his power is greater than what the laws of nature would otherwise dictate. He can work and intervene in our very lives today, both spiritually and physically. So for anyone at church today in either location that says, I need a miracle, just raise your hand up as a way of just saying, that's something I need in my life. I just want to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. God, you know the needs in this room. You know the physical pain and suffering that's taking place. You know the relationships that seem beyond repair. You know the bills that can't be paid. God, we are praying for your supernatural favor. We're praying for supernatural provision. And God, we pray for supernatural healing. You desire to heal your people. And so we pray that that would be done. We pray that you would heal according to your will, by your power, for your glory, Jesus. Lord, do your will, do your will God. Have your way in us. We pray that people's lives will be changed, that bodies will be restored, that pain will be taken away. Holy Spirit, just move in this place. We praise you, Jesus. We ask for your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.